This message is brought to you by DoNotAge.org, the longevity research organisation that's on a mission to extend health span for as many people as possible via products that actually work. Start your journey today at DoNotAge.org and use code LAMA for a 10% discount. That's L-L-A-M-A. I say to people, you can save your life. It's not too late. These years can, not the golden years, but the the same years, the fabulous years, the exciting years, the productive years. That's what you want. You want to go down with all your flags flying. Hello again and welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. I'm Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Well, my guest today is on a mission to redefine aging. Fred Bartlett is a U.S. Army commander and accomplished lawyer. He's worked for two U.S. presidents. He's a prolific author. And now, in his mid-80s, he is dedicated to living longer, better and stronger. Fred is the author of Choosing the Strong Path, Reversing the Downward Spiral of Aging. Fred, welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. And it sounds like we have very similar goals in life. Well, my goals are not necessarily to live a lot longer, but to live a lot better. In other words, the uh, what I've learned in my research is that if you're 60 years old, your mode is 90. That, that's a term meaning you most likely will live to be 90. That's 30 more years. That's almost half of your adult life. Yet some of the top medical scientists in America have said for most people, a big chunk of the last half of their adult lives from 60 to 90 is sad and wasted, and they, it, it, their, their life shrinks and they can do less and less. So, the, so medical science has kept us alive longer because they've defeated the infectious diseases, but they, they, haven't, they don't know how to keep us at 85, 87, 90, just as good as we were at 22. And that is possible, and they don't get it. So when I say live longer, in fact, because you are, as I mentioned, you're in your mid-80s. I'm 87 in a week. So by the time we publish this podcast, you will be 87. And that indeed is living longer when you compare you to the rest of the, the population of the Western world, where the average lifespan is still probably high 70s, low 80s. You know, that's true, but I remember growing up as a little boy, and my aunts, uncles, grandparents, both my parents, everybody lived to be about at least mid-90 and some over 100. But I also watched as a little boy and saw by 70, they were all frail. None of them had any mental problems, but they just got weaker and weaker and frailer and skinnier and fell down and couldn't do the things they loved doing. And so my whole point is that all my ancestors lived a fine, long, great, wonderful lives. My grandmother was 101, but the last half of their adult lives wasn't much fun. And indeed, this will surprise you. A man who's probably the top medical scientist in this field in all of America just wrote a long piece in Atlantic Magazine where he said everybody... Nobody should live longer than 75 because life after 75 isn't worth living. And then he wrote in Atlantic that pneumonia is a wonderful disease and a blessing because pneumonia kills us quickly and painlessly in our 70s. 
That's the state of medical science today. Certainly uh, aspiring only to live to be in your mid-70s, to me, isn't fulfilling the optimum health span that I think is in the vast majority of us. And that's why I talk about health span as opposed to lifespan. It's that number of years you can maximize your optimum health and carry on doing what you enjoy doing. You know, that's a, a very good way to put it. And a, a recent study of the last 30 years of your life said that your life expectancy is 30 years at age 60 but your health expectancy is only eight years. So you're right on the money. Now, I gave a very brief introduction to you, a, a potted biography, if you like, and mentioned that you've worked for two presidents. Before we talk in more detail about what you're doing now and what your goals are in terms of health and, and health span, let's just quickly talk about the past 87 years, uh, if we can, in maybe eight and a half minutes. Um, you work for two presidents, and uh, they were pivotal assignments, weren't they? They were, and I represented uh, President Bush in the famous Tallahassee hanging Chad election litigation. I was, was then Governor Bush's lawyer in that presidential litig uh, election litigation. And then when it came time to represent a president of another party, President Obama hired me to be his chief counsel in the, in the President Obama's special investigation of the Deepwater Horizon blowout in the Gulf of Mexico. So for a year, year and a half, I worked on that, found the causes, wrote a long report, and uh, enjoyed that very much. So I've worked for two presidents of different parties on two totally separate issues. As you look back over your career, there is so much more to what you've done as well. You've uh, been a lawyer in umpteen trials, of course, around the country. Uh, you were in the U.S. Army as well. Yes, I went to West Point, and then after that, I was a U.S. Army Ranger for five or six years. I was a troop commander at age 21 of 160 soldiers. Uh, learned an awful lot as a young man with people who've been in the battlefield in World War II when I was a kid officer in 1955. And uh, just uh, one question on the, the whole hanging Chad saga. That, as you look back, and I think as most Americans look back on that time, it was uh, it was not a good time for America. It was a very prolonged trial. There was considerable doubt over who the next president was going to be. And, of course, you were at the center of it all. What is your, with the benefit of hindsight, what is your lasting memory of that time? Well, I believe what Winston Churchill said about America. He said, Americans get it wrong all the time till they finally get it right. <laughs> and the fact is that after the trial, the Supreme Court upheld the trial judge's verdict. We won in the trial court. And the Supreme Court, it wasn't a five to four case, it was a seven to two case. So that it was very clear, President Bush won. We got it right, we sorted it out. Sometimes Americans take a little longer, but we, we did get it right. My, my, what I remember most is sitting the morning of the trial was starting, and my partner Phil Beck and I are sitting looking at the jury box in the courtroom. And in the jury box, there are nothing but cameras and reporters. And I said to my partner, you know, Phil, we can't win at this. And he said, what do you mean? I said, if we lose, we're bums. And if we win, nobody knows what a good trial lawyer is, and they'll screw up describing what we actually accomplished. <laughs> so we laughed a little bit. And like anything, when you're, we've done it a lot, once we got on our feet, 
on worldwide television. It was just like any other trial, cross-examining the witnesses, talking slow and loud so everybody could hear you, being honest, being prepared, getting it right. And since those two, and you mentioned the other one uh, with President Obama, have you uh, kept in touch? Not really. Uh, I'm not a political person. I've had many offers, which I are confidential to represent presidents in the White House. I don't want to do that. I've had job offers in Washington. Uh, I have a small law firm. All we do is cases over $100 million, which we try. I love it. The issues are worldwide shaking all the time. And it, it's been a wonderful life. And I don't want to be involved in politics at all. I voted for Republicans. I vote for Democrats. I vote for the man or woman I think's the best. Period. And that's probably enough <laughs> politics for this podcast, I think. Probably. It's, uh, probably it's too a, much. <laughs> it's been a fascinating life, though. So what I really want to talk about is your work on health and, and longevity. And I'm curious, when did you start to be interested in this area? <laughs> well, as is often the case, a woman was the inception of my interest in this field. So I'm 50 years old. I'd been a ranger. I'd gone to West Point. I was a troop leader. And I thought, like a lot of 50-year-old people do, I was, you know, as we used to say, God's gift. So I meet this amazing woman. And I want to show off because I think I'm really fit. So I take her to a gym. And we walk out of the gym, and she said, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. She said, if you don't do more than that, you're going to be a corpse at 60. I said, what should I do? Her name was Jana. I said, Jana, what should I do? Remember, I just met her maybe three or four days earlier. She said, you got to go to a real gym in a, in a strip mall where there's real guys, you know, not big shots, and everybody's in there grunting and groaning and going to max and lifting heavy weights. I said, Will you? she said, I'll find a, a strip mall and I'll find you a real trainer whose neck is bigger than your waist and will push you, make you do what you need to do. So I do that, and I get interested in it. I was 50 at the time. Ten years later, I noticed that my life hadn't changed any. I was helicopter skiing. I was playing a lot of golf. I was, you know, playing on some basketball teams. And all my friends had quit. No more skiing, very little golf, no basketball. So I started being a guy always interested in things, doing research on Medline. And on Medline, about 1993, I found the word sarcopenia, which nobody knew back then. It was a brand new word, and very few medical people know today. But sarc sarcopenia is a disease that makes you lose your strength consistently from age 30 on. It's a recognized medical disease by the CDC in America and World Health Organization. And at the time when I got interested, I just, I'd seen my mom and dad and aunt and uncle and grandmother. I'd seen all them get frail. And I, I just wanted to keep my own life going along at the level it was at then, doing anything I wanted to do without having anything hold me back. Now, as the years have passed since 1993 or so, the whole world has changed. The research in the last two years has boomed, and my focus today is dramatically more important and dramatically broader 
than it was when I first got started. It was just making sure Fred Bartlett could still ski. (laughs) (laughs) But one of your key observations, as I understand it, was simply the frailty that was coming with growing old. And those were from the observations of people around you, your friends. And I, I, I think your insistence that it didn't have to be that way. Yes. And the medical science and exercise physiology for a long time has focused on being thin and having high cardio capacity and doing long, slow running. And there's been no focus on strength. And as I did my original research on Medline, morning after morning for 10 years or so, I learned that it's strength that counts. Now, you probably never heard that from your doctor. Your doctors probably said, take it easy, don't overdo. That's terrible medical advice. And the fact is, you've, it, the correlation between happiness and strength is very powerful in the world today. Two key words are skeletal muscles, skeletal muscle, as I would say, from (laughs) from the UK. And uh, we've talked about it many times on this podcast. We've talked to trainers, uh, certainly the the gym that I go to, where the focus is precisely what you're talking about, and that is uh, strength as you grow old. So tell me what you did next. Once you'd had this kind of light bulb moment, you'd figured it out through hours and hours of, of research. How did you move forward? Well, I married the woman that gave me the idea. So that sounds like a good move. So that that little West Texas girl that I met when I was 50 and she was 35, we've now been married for 34 years. And I'm doing everything today at 87 that I ever wanted to do with no diminution at all. And there isn't a night we sit and talk in the evenings. We've, I, I have a habit of spending two hours every late afternoon talking to my wife about life and the things she's done for me and the things she's the kind of man she's made me. And you know, I talked to her about it and I thank her. I said, thank you, thank you. I said I would have been a typical fat old uh, fool in Naples, Florida having too much to drink at the country club, and now I'm still helicopter skiing. You mentioned drinking and probably eating as well. Do you focus as much on your diet as you do as your, on your exercise? And we'll continue this conversation in just a moment. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG. And we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. As much, uh, my exercise, uh, you know, I suppose you could say I'm close to being obsessed because I love my life and I don't want to see it start going backwards. But diet is extremely important. For example, the ex- we have a guy on our team, a professor from the University of Texas. He emphasizes protein and somebody my size, 6'2", 215, I have to get about 200 grams of protein a day in order to keep my skeletal muscle. And people who don't get that much protein, no matter what they do in the gym, they're going to lose their skeletal muscle. You know, getting 200 grams of protein a day is tough because a big chicken breast is maybe 40 grams, if that. And you can't, 
Get more than 30 grams at one meal or it's wasted. So during the day, you need to focus on, you know, small bursts of making sure you get enough protein. Vegetables, you know, I'm a big believer in a lot of the current research. Eat bright colored vegetables, you know, simmer some red, yellow, and green peppers and eat, eat green peppers along with your protein. Just try to stay away from bread, potatoes. Try to stay away from all processed foods as much as I love pasta. You know, I pretty much stay away from it and focus on, you know, eating things the way they were made, getting enough protein, getting enough vegetables. When I eat uh, fruits, I eat, tend to eat red grapes and Bing cherries and things like that. Uh, oranges, apples in the late afternoon when you get hungry, you eat a great big golden apple and it'll take away your, uh, your appetite and it won't be many calories and it'll give you some fiber. If I come to your house for dinner, I'm not going to sit down and say, I can't eat that. Whatever you serve me, I'll eat and, and that's just fine. I do believe in, in not talking about weight, Peter. We've all been bugged our entire lives by people talking about our weight. We don't want to hear it. So I teach, get strong, and everything else will fall in place. And it does. People who really follow the strong path, after a while, they look a little better. They look a little tighter. And somebody says, well, Helen, are you, are you dieting? They say no, but they feel a little better. Everything flows from strength. There are reasons for this. You know, doctors want to say, well, what's the mechanism? You know, how can your brain be affected by pumping iron, doing curls, and things like that? It's a long story. I don't know if you want to get into it, but there are evolutionary reasons why everything comes with strength. Strength drives everything. Strong people succeed in business. They have confidence. They can work harder. They can do more. They carry themselves differently. They stand straighter. Over the door of the ranger school, Fort Benning, there's a sign that says a potbelly cannot lead men. You know, if you're a young, a young person and you're in Utah Beach and some lieutenant says, follow me up the cliffs, we're getting shot at and the guy's got a big belly, you're not going up those cliffs. But if a man is hard as a rock and he's a U.S. Army Ranger and he says, follow me and goes first, you'll follow him anywhere. So long story, but appearance counts, the package you present yourself in, all that counts in America today. I'm just interested then, what is your average day. You talked about the couple of hours you spend towards the end of the day talking to your wife, which sounds great. But it, especially as it applies to your exercise regime, um, what time do you get up in the morning and what do you do? Well, I'm, a, I'm still an active trial lawyer. I have a lot of clients in Berlin and Stuttgart and Munich and, and in London. And so I get up generally about 3 or 3.30 because I talk to them and send emails back and forth. I get that business out of the way early. I drink a lot of coffee early. Maybe at 6, I, you know, it sounds kind of silly, but I, I have a house in Chicago and a house in Vail and a house here. And in my homes, I have gyms that I've built. So I can, they're as good as any gym you will run into anywhere in the world. So I walk down the hall, and one day is arms and shoulders, one day is chest and back, one day is legs. You know that's the traditional old routine. I, I vary it a little bit. I, I go 15, 15, 10, 8, 5, 15 reps with a weight you could do 17, 15 more reps with the same lighter weight, then 10 reps with a weight you could not do 11, 8, you couldn't do 9, and 4, you couldn't do 5. 
The first two high reps get the slow twitch muscles, and the three heavier uh, sets to failure get the fast twitch muscles. Most Americans never exercise their fast twitch muscles. That's why they have to quit skiing, quit playing tennis, you know, quit mountain climbing. That's why they trip and catch a toe and fall down because they, their fast twitch muscle motor units have forgotten how to operate the muscles. So you want to get both sets, and that's why you do. And by the way, I didn't invent this. This is, this is all I went to Northwestern in Illinois and talked to the young men there, the PhDs that are training the women's athletic teams, because a lot of women are, have great hand-eye but aren't that strong. So I wanted to find out, you know, what are they teaching? And they're teaching my teachings in the gym, which are on my website, by the way, and there's, and there's no advertising on the website, strongpath.com. My teachings are all what I learned from the up-to-date exercise physiology of men training motivated but unconditioned people, largely women. And I do find, by the way, Peter, that women 55 to 70, they get what I teach a lot more than highly successful men in their 60s and 70s. My profession is such that I deal with a lot of people, well-known men who are literally, you know, they got the requisite billion as people talk in that world. And a lot of them are worth a lot more than that. And they resist, largely, they resist what I have to teach. I can't... Why do you think they do that? You know, part of it is the, over the years, uh, pumping iron in a gym has been kind of made fun of as, you know, lower middle class men. Uh, upper class men played squash and golf and tennis and graduated and were in the Dartmouth Outing Club and went to Princeton and Yale and there was no weightlifting there. So I think there's a stigma about it. I also think if you're 68, 70 years old and you've always been successful and you, you don't want to go into a gym and take off your jacket and have your spindly little arms and pot belly. You, they're embarrassed? You, yeah, they're, 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 they've always been the big shots. They've had their $7,000 suits on. I call it their coat of armor. And when they walk in a room, everybody listens, and they all have gray hair at the temples and a deep voice, and they make a great appearance. But they don't like being the guy that can't curl 20-pound dumbbell. That's simple. I could, I, I could tell you many personal stories of well-known men that were my friends who I said at 70, so-and-so, you're getting frail, and they said, I can't do it. And I said, I'll build you a gym at your house. It's next to mine. I can't do it. They got frailer, and at 82, they died of frailty. In the last seven or eight years, they had people feeding them at the golf club and things like that. Their hands trembled. Their lips trembled. They got that hollow-eyed look that, frankly, you see you know, George Bush 43 getting now. You can see it looking at him. And do you think that is a, a male problem, not just in older age, but throughout life, that men are more reluctant to accept the potential frailties and acknowledge it and do something about it? Men, well, you know this, you've, you've, you're obviously involved in medicine a lot. Men don't want to even have a physical for fear they'll find out something wrong. Women tend to maybe have too many physicals and have you know, too many remedies to cure things that maybe would have gone away. But I do think there's a, there's a fear of the unknown. And the, some of the most successful men in the world are the last ones to be willing to say, I'm getting frail, I'm going to be falling down, I won't get out of bed, I'll be wetting my bed, I'll need a helper, I better start pumping iron now. They're the last ones to see it. Their wives might see it sometimes. Yes, and I've, <laughs> I 
I could name names, but I won't. But I've had women who are a very successful men say to me, Fred, can't you do something with Charlie? He's getting weaker all the time. He's getting forgetful. And why can't he be like you? There's more teaching out there now than we could cover in two hours. But, for example, turns out that women and men in the top third, top 10%, top 10% of fitness in the world are 90% less likely to get Alzheimer's than people in the middle quartile of fitness. Alzheimer's, my God, if you, the average wealthy guy, and if he had any money at all who could cut his chance of getting Alzheimer's by 60 to 90%, would pay 50 grand a year for the medicine. There, it's right out there. Jim's free if you're over 65 in America, as you know. Government pays for it, and they won't do it. And then they get Alzheimer's. You know, if you, if you have one ancestor with Alzheimer's, your chance of getting it is about 40%, and you could have two copies of the APOE4 Alzheimer's gene, and that increases your chance by 14%. Working out one hour a week reduces your chance of getting Alzheimer's by 50%. I think this is something a lot of people don't realize, that clearly a lot of us, probably most of us, are predisposed genetically to follow a certain path, to perhaps get Alzheimer's or other conditions that we've seen our parents or grandparents suffer from. But, and this is the thing that I think a lot of people don't understand and what you alert to, is that, that with good diet and, and especially exercise, there's much that can be done to perhaps reverse that situation or not let it fulfill its, its ultimate potential in terms of those diseases so that we can actually continue living a, a pretty good life. And you know, there's the seeds of a great scandal here because in the last two years, Conservative places like Harvard, CDC, and the UK uh, Medical Academy have said that pumping iron is the miracle of, of uh, is a miracle drug, the fountain of youth. It actually makes our cells and our bodies younger. And we did a study recently in, in American medical schools. Only five percent of medical schools in America teach that exercise is a miracle cure for 35 chronic diseases, including Alzheimer's and cancer and heart disease. None of them teach it. And the, the American Heart Association recently said that no doctors out there are qualified to teach the benefits of exercise that I teach. They don't read it. They're in their own little cell. They've studied, they're, they're a mile deep in their field, but they're about two inches wide. And they don't have curiosity, seemingly, to me, outside their particular field. So if your, your listeners go to their doctor and ask them about sarcopenia and exercise, they'll probably say, A, they've never heard of sarcopenia. B, frailty with aging is just inevitable. And three, just take it easy, don't overdo. What you say is absolutely right. And I've interviewed a number of doctors for this podcast and asking them about what they learned at school, at medical school, very, very little about well, hardly anything about exercise and, and indeed very little about nutrition as well, which is perhaps even more shocking. Yeah. And, and some cancers, the, the chance of not dying of, of prostate cancer is 68 percent lower if you work out intensely. Holy cow. You know, and women, 
the chance of getting breast cancer is from 40 to 80% lower if you, if, you work out with, if you work out with weights. And, then, and this, this is all peer-reviewed stuff, by the way. Everything I've said here, there is a peer-reviewed study to support. You know, you know there's one more thing. You've, you're obviously deeper into this, frankly, than a lot of people that I talk to. You know about telomeres. Oh, yes. The length of your telomeres yeah. is all important. Telomeres. And just for, any, yeah. just for anyone, we have mentioned telomeres before. Imagine shoelaces at the end of your chromosomes. They are your telomeres, and, the, and they tend to shorten with age. Well, they sh- every, your cells have to divide to survive. And every time the cell divides, the telomeres get shorter. And when the telomeres get really short, you die. But those few who engage in intense physical activity... Their telomeres stay longer, and this is a, by like a 160,000-person study in Europe. And people with long telomeres look, act, move, and conduct themselves like they're 20 years younger. They don't necessarily live forever, of course, but instead of living dying like most Americans, they die still living, and that's what it's all about. You know, just switch it around, and until uh, you know. There's no long, slow spiral down. That's the downward spiral of aging. You can avoid that, and you live like crazy to the end, and then one day you don't wake up, and you've got nothing to bitch about. You've had a wonderful life. <laughs> yeah, you, you just summed up what I often talk about, and uh, the, the phrase, they die still living, absolutely sums it up, that the goal you would think for most people should be to live that optimum health span lifestyle until that very final moment and then die quickly. And there are examples around the world of, of people doing that. There are little pockets, little communities around the world where their lifestyle seems to, and it isn't just as at an individual level, it is a community thing that some communities and lifestyles, diet, exercise, are focused on that outcome, that it's a, a long, active, healthy life and then die quickly. Well, it's, all, it's quite interesting. There are very few hunter-gatherer communities left in the world on our planet, but there are some. And when they go there, their arteries are way better than the richest men and women in the world that spend all their time being counseled by wellness people and their doctors. So their, their bodies are way, way better than, than the average rich person, the people in these hunter-gatherer communities. Our bodies were designed by natural selection, by evolution, to be at their best under intense physical exercise conditions. When we're in a sedentary world, they're mismatched for it, and everything goes south. Let me ask you, you've clearly, and I know you have looked into this in extreme depth, and you've spent many decades doing it. There's a lot of talk these days about spirituality, about meditation, about downtime, and that is letting your body, to some extent, recover from a spiritual perspective. Do you have any form of regime like that? No. I, <laughs> I think Americans love to rationalize things, and they love to be told, take it easy, like Dr. Oz and his miracle foods. If you eat this, you'll be better. Lie down and take it easy. If you lie, if you lie down and take it easy, you're going to lose. I, you know, I think exercise is, it is a, I almost said a bad word, it is a miracle drug. I mean, everything works better when your body is doing what it was designed by, by natural selection to do 50,000 years ago. It's at its best under intense conditions of physical activity, period. What are your aspirations for the years to come? I often ask people of different ages how they see their own 
longevity and perhaps what they aspire still to do in their lives? Well, the main thing I aspire doing is getting your listeners to believe me. I mean, I've had a great life. I always say Act 1, growing up in the heart of the south side of Chicago in a crappy town. Act 2, the military. Act 3, being a trial lawyer. Act 4, government service. And and Act 5 is uh, making people understand that there's something out there they don't know about that can change their lives forever. And I, I hope to do that. I'm I'm worried. It, I don't make much progress. I see many of my best friends walking around with pot bellies. I explain the difference between subcutaneous fat and visceral fat. You know, I'm sure your listeners know that. I don't need to repeat that. And, yep. and how pot belly kills you young. And people say, I'm not as disciplined as you, Fred. I said, holy cow, you've worked your whole life. You've made $5 billion with brand new ideas. You're not disciplined? You just need to you need to think outside the box a little bit. Everybody is disciplined enough when they see it can take a crappy, you know, somebody who says you should be dead, take a light a, di- a dismal life of quiet desperation where you're bed bound and and you wet your bed and you have to have a caretaker. I have guys my age that can't travel without an assistant traveling with them. You can avoid that. I've never in my life been happier, Peter. I can do everything I ever wanted to do as good as I could ever do it. I've got, they, there's a lot of new research showing that older people in their 70s who pump iron have 70% more energy than those who don't. That's the study came out just last week. Has to do with the way energy moves through your body and is transferred. I can, you know, I, I, I'm sure the sites are on my website. 70% more energy. Holy cats. Who wouldn't do anything for that? I mean, if I had a choice between giving up everything I have in the world, I've worked my butt off coming from ground zero long, long time ago, giving all that up or giving up staying fit, I'd give that all up and start all over and stay fitted. That's exactly how important it is. And when I see people shuffling, I, I know why they catch their toes and fall. I have drills to prevent that. Jumping around on a BOSU ball and all that. There are all kinds of ways of fighting all this stuff. And when I see them and they don't get it, I go to a gym in Chicago, the best gym in America. And I'll see a a woman doing five-pound curls while she's talking to a trainer. I can't help myself. I go up and say to the trainer, you're cheating this lady. She's a nice lady. She wouldn't be here. He looks at me and says, mind your own business. I said, I said I'm going to turn you in, I've said sometimes. <laughs> but that's what, you know, in the time I have left, that's what I want to accomplish. I, and I, what's interesting is you've talked about a lot of your friends or your clients being extremely wealthy people. Yeah. This isn't about money, is it? No. As you no. mentioned, you can go to a gym over the age of 65 for nothing. You yes. don't need a huge amount of wealth to, to lift weights and, and to maybe swim every day or whatever your chosen kind of exercise. It, it isn't about money. No. Government has a program called Silver Sneakers where they pay for gyms for I think, people over it's either 60 or 65. And, you know, it's helpful to get started with a trainer, but there are trainers around that are, you know, college coaches and things like that. They're freelancing that for, you know, they don't have to be 200 bucks an hour. They like the goop team. You know what goop is, don't you? Oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) And can get you started on the right course. And, but it's, you know, I say to people, you can save your life. It's not too late. 
these years can, not the golden years, but the, the same years, the fabulous years, the exciting years, the productive years. That's what you want. You want to go down with all your flags flying. Well, Fred, this has been a, a hugely inspiring conversation. And uh, certainly I, I agree with a lot of what you <laughs> have to say. And uh, as you said, I hope a lot of people listening will be simply inspired by what you have to say. And I know a lot of listeners to this podcast are already putting into practice some of the things we've talked about. Others might not be. And there's always, isn't there, there's always something extra you can do. It's never too late to get started. Now, that's a remarkable statement to make. Harvard said that. I'm not a medical person. I can't say to a very weak older person, go out and do this. I can say, I personally believe you should do it. You should have a physical. You should talk to your doctor. You know, we don't want you falling over dead, but I could tell you scores of stories where people have been told, take it easy, and I talk to them, and the same people now 10 years later are deadlifting 300 pounds and are totally vigorous at age 70 or 75. Fred, it's a great message. Thank you very much indeed. It's been really good to talk to you. Nice talking to you. I was pleased to see how deep you personally are into this. A lot of people I talk to think it's just a joke. It's not. This is big time stuff. It can change everybody's life. Maybe even yours. <laughs> well, I hope so. And, and you're right. It isn't. Some people do think it's a joke. Some people mock others who spend a lot of time exercising. And uh, I kind of share your passion for just trying to persuade people that uh, this is the way to go. Well, I enjoyed it very much, Peter. Look forward to seeing you sometime if our paths ever cross. I hope we can do that. And uh, I'm going to put all the details of your book and your website into the show notes for this episode at our website, which is LlamaPodcast.com. That's L-L-A-M-A Podcast.com. Llama being the acronym we use for Live Long and Master Aging. You'll also find there an index of all of our episodes. There's over 100 now. And if you get a chance to visit us at Apple Podcasts, you can rate and review us there. I'm always keen to hear what you think about the podcast, and I'm very grateful for your comments. Many thanks for listening. Likewise. Thank you. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rude. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. FlexBeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a FlexBeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.